I am going to be preaching Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, B. Which, in my translation, New American Standard Bible says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the ending of what the church has called for many centuries, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on and so forth. So forth. This is a model prayer. Our Lord was very kind to us. Uh, during his earthly ministry, he gave us help on terms of what to pray for. I'm sure none of you have ever struggled uh, to pray, to, to know how to pray properly, right? All of us have, okay? Uh, even the struggle of having something written down or in your mind already, and then you seek to engage in prayer, and then these darts started coming at you, and you start thinking about, you know, what you have to do during the day, or and, uh, sometimes wicked thoughts come in, and you have to fight them, and you go, where was I? And you just sometimes get derailed. Use the Lord's Prayer. You can never go wrong there. You know, the six petitions and the concluding words. And that's what I want to look at is these are these concluding words. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before I look at each part of that ending, that conclusion, I want to make two observations. They're not very profound, but hopefully they're helpful. The first observation is this. The words of the conclusion are in the form of what we call a doxology, which is a brief anthem of sacred praise. Now, words similar to this form of doxology that we find here are found elsewhere in Scripture. Some of them are very uh, well known to you, but some of them might not be. Here's one from First Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head, as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. That sounds familiar. It sounds to me that at least our Lord is following a scriptural pattern. Maybe he had the, this text in mind, I'm not sure. Paul does a similar thing in 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And 1 Timothy 6. Now, uh, excuse me, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And you have uh, finally Jude 24 and 25 and just kind of get our minds thinking through these doxologies of scripture. <laughs> Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. I, I, I don't understand what this thing means, the next words, but I look forward to it. Blameless with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So it is appropriate then to end our prayers with a brief anthem of praise, a doxology like this, recognizing the greatness of the one to whom we offer our prayers. God is the sovereign Lord. We are the dependent creatures, dependent upon him, not only for our being, our existence, but our well-being. So it's appropriate for us to have these doxologies uh, attached to the ends of our prayers. The second observation before we look at the parts of this conclusion, the words of the conclusion function as the basis for the Lord's prayer. And you can see that in the little word for. Okay, so you have a solemn address, our Father who art in heaven. You have six petitions, the name of God, the kingdom of God, the will of God, the uh, daily um, bread or necessities of life, the forgiveness of our sins, and then the last petition, lead us not into temptation. For we pray all this. Because of this, or the question might be, why pray the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer? What's the foundation? What's the the basis of it? The little word for indicates it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So the word for tells us that the final words function as the reason why believers are to offer up the six petitions already stated. Why pray the Lord's Prayer? Because God's is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. In other words, we pray to God because God... You don't have to have a PhD to say these next words, okay? We pray to God because God is... Thank you. God! Okay? He is the king of all. He is the omnipotent and glorious creator and sustainer every moment of our life. Have you recognized this? God not only brought me into being through, you know, means, uh, but God sustains every pulsation of my heart, to quote uh, somebody else. Every moment. So we pray to him as the creator and sustainer of all that is other than himself and our glorious Redeemer through the work of our Savior. So, let's look at each part. Thine is the kingdom. That's the first part. The second part, thine is the power. The third part, thine is the glory. And then the fourth part, let it be. So be it. Amen. So, thine is the kingdom. In this, we acknowledge that God is king of all. He has universal Sovereignty over all that he has made simply because he made it and he sustains it. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And we have to be very careful. God didn't form the heavens and the earth from previously existing matter God brought that which was not into existence into existence. That's way different than 
there were things there that for God to work with, materials for him to work with, and then he put it all together, and boom, we have the heavens and the earth. God can speak, it's the language of scripture, things into existence that don't exist. And not only are those things that are spoken into existence dependent upon God to speak them into existence, to affect them, to cause them to come to be, but they can't live on their own without sustaining power of God, providence, every single moment of their life. That's why I said every pulsation of our heart is upheld and caused by the divine beneficence. The goodness of God, the creator, not only toward his children, but think of this, toward his enemies. I've said this before. You, you should be glad that I'm not God. Because if I had all the enemies God did, I wouldn't give them rain and food and shelter. I mean, I would for a while maybe, but I'd get sick and tired of it. Because they're ungrateful. They're unthankful, Romans 1. And yet, out of the divine plenitude comes good things to creatures who don't even acknowledge they're made and sustained, but in fact are, and deny the very one that creates and sustains them. Thine is the kingdom, by God's providence, the execution of divine power in sustaining in being that which he has made, he rules in the heavens and on the earth. Or as the psalmist says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. Or as uh, William Perkins, an old friend of mine, says, real old friend of mine, he was a, he has a sovereign right and title to all things in heaven and earth. He has sovereign rule and authority over all things in heaven and earth. Hence, prayer from us. Now, this is unquote. This is me now. Hence, prayer from us directed to God is very appropriate. It is a recognition that he is God and we are not. That this thing we call the universe is God's and not ours and need not mother nature's. Since he reigns universally over all creatures, he is king over all he makes. Thine is the kingdom. Now, there's a particular, more focused, narrower sense in which God is king of a kingdom as well. We could call this the reign of grace, the kingdom of grace. Um, his particular kingship, that is grace deposited, grace given to sinners and God's rule over the grace given and the sinners themselves, these sinners who have been uh, bought by grace through Christ and brought by grace to Christ um, is called a kingdom sometimes. Uh, for instance, we are to thank the Father uh, who rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear or beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this redemptive kingdom, uh, you can see it this morning, the visible church. This redemptive kingdom is comprised of those elected by the father, redeemed by the son and sanctified by the spirit through Word and, and sacrament. So when we pray, for thine is the kingdom, we're proclaiming the truth that God is creator and sustainer over all as well as redeemer. 
And we are recognizing that God is king of creation, king of providence, and king of grace. Now, does God need us to recognize that about him? Okay, good answers. All right. I did this on purpose because I'm testing whether or not your pastors are teaching you good doctrine. Since you say, does God need you? We should go, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about here? Need? God has needs. There are voids that could be filled in God's life. Um, I'm still getting shaking heads going, no. You're right. So why would our Lord during his earthly ministry sit his disciples down and say, pray then in this manner, after this pattern? Use this, these headings as an example. Our Father who art in heaven, now will be all the way through. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, uh, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is this prayer for? God? To go, man, look at these creaturely subjects. They really worship me. Does prayer change God? Does prayer make God like he was sad one morning and he gets happy because we prayed? Is prayer a change agent? The answer is yes. The question is, who gets changed when we pray? It's either, there's two answers. Okay, one of them's right and one of them's wrong. It's either God or creatures. And the answer is, everybody know, why am I even preaching this sermon? Let's just have lunch. It's creatures, right? Prayer is a means through which God, according to his sovereign will, chooses when he wants to, to change the affairs of creatures on the earth. And even in the midst of prayer, even though our prayers might not be answered in the way we want it to, the very fact that we're praying can be a change agent to us. You know how it happens sometimes. You get worried and concerned or you text somebody or call somebody and they say, brother or sister, Let's pray. And even though it might, you know, just be a fumbling, bumbling, nitwit kind of sounding prayer, if it comes from a heart of faith, uh, you know what happens? You get changed. You go, that's right, perspective. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This isn't all about me. The God who made and sustains when frowning providence comes my way He has a way of sustaining me through the the trial and bringing me out in better shape mysteriously than I was either before or as I was going through it. So thine is the kingdom, but thine is the power. God's power is none is like none other. God is not stronger than us. Divine power is not the highest form of this power thing on a scale. It's off the scales. It's on its own scale. Uh, His is divine. His is eternal. His is infinite power. God is able to bring things into existence that had no prior existence simply because he wills to without depleting anything in himself. We're... We're not like that. I, I've used this illustration for, for, for mothers. Wouldn't it be great if you could, if you could, without depleting any energy, 
bring into existence not only the desire of your child to clean their bedroom, but the actual uh, effect, the cleaning of the bedroom. Without persuasion, without it taking a long time sitting them down on the couch to reason with them, you could just speak things into existence. Uh, as, a, as a young mother, um, when my wife was a young mother, it's not that she's not young. She's way younger than I am. Um, but I, I, my study was in our house, and you know, I'm going, how does she do all this? We have five kids sometimes in the house all at once, and uh, how do you, it's almost like you've got to have magical powers, but we don't. And God's power is not magical, but I'm just trying to make the distinction between when we execute our plans, okay, when we do things and cause effects in the created world, your work. I keep pointing over there because we talked about him working earlier. Um, what do you do at the end of the day? Do you go, huh, that was nothing. I got everything I had as far as power source in the morning at 5.30 in the evening. You don't do that usually. You say, I am tired. I want to have dinner and I want to have family worship or whatever I do, watch a, whatever I watch, and I need to go to bed because I need to be replenished. God wills things into existence without the exhaustion of divine power. God does, there's no divine power fuel, you know, um, uh, oil wells up in glory where God has to fuel himself up after a hard day's work. That's us. So this, this prayer, by the way, should remind us of we're creatures and God is not. For thine is the kingdom and the, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So God is able to not only bring creatures into existence, but change creatures by the execution of his power. He can subdue his enemies and ours. He can preserve his people in the midst of difficulties and trials. Or as the psalmist says, you have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Obviously, a figure of speech here, but helping us as creatures understand something about the power of God. Because God, God is divine power. Somebody knows why I just said that instead of saying God has divine power. We speak like that. I get it. But that can lead you to think that that power is it's out there. And then God says, I want that. And he adds power to himself to make him to be the God that he tells us he is. That's not, God doesn't have character traits that he adds and subtracts. And he's not like us. Because God is divine power. We pray to the one who executes his power toward us. And for us, have you ever thought of that? God executes power, not only toward us as creatures, but for our, not only being, but our very well-being. Is that a word? It is now. Very well-being. 
Not just well-being, but our very, very well. God executes power toward those who are believing to bring them, first of all, to faith, but sustain them in faith. And Paul even says this in his prayer in Ephesians 1. He wanted the Ephesians to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, who are believing. So there, there is this thing called divine power. Um, it's great. And then he adds this. It's not only divine power and great. It exceeds greatness. The exceeding greatness. It's infinite, unexhaustible power in execution toward that which exists. And in terms of us as Christians, the execution of divine power uh, changing us, uniting us to Christ uh, through faith, which is a gift, the Spirit bonding us with the benefits that the mediator brings, which includes union with God and communion with God. This is, God does this. So it's good in our prayers at the end, even if we fumbled and mumbled and stumbled and, and had five times that we had to start over, we had to abort the whole project and confess the sin that we sinful thought that we had in the midst of our prayers. I know none of you struggle with this kind of stuff. I'm just, you know, this is for really bad people, not you. You stop, you say, Lord, forgive me. I was trying to, I don't even know what I was trying to pray for. I forgot. But I know this much. Thine is this power. And you you executed your power, sustaining me as as your child fumbling and bumbling through my prayer time this morning or this evening. Even that's the goodness of God. I told you, you should be glad I wasn't God. Because if I was and you prayed like that, I'd thump you on the head. I'm God. You can't do that. Now, that doesn't, I'm not trying to say, let's be irreverent and test the Lord or anything like that. I'm just trying to be real. If you're anything like me, you've struggled with those things. But sometimes just say, you know what? Self, God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory. This is why I'm praying. The basis upon which I am praying is this. You're God. I'm a creature. I got needs I can't meet. Other people in my life got needs they can't meet. I can't meet. Ultimately, it comes from your good hand. Please do something wonderful and great for this poor sinner over here or something like that. And the last one is thine is the glory forever. It is as if we are saying you and you alone possess uh, divine excellencies and perfections worthy of our praise. Remember, I said this is a, an anthem of praise, a, a brief doxology at the end. Your wonderful works of creation, providence and the work of salvation display your glory in your works are revealed to us, your power, your goodness, your wisdom. There is none like you. Your ways are past finding out, but they do manifest your glory among us. This we acknowledge, and as a result, we worship in prayer. Thine is the glory forever. And then the final ascription, the final word here, amen. Uh, The amen is, I think, very instructive. It's not just the way... The kids realize the pastor's done praying. You know, just think if they never said 
in public prayer especially. If nobody ever said amen, you'd be going... But that's not the only function of saying amen. So everybody knows that it's time to go, you know, eat or whatever. (laughs) Amen is a way that we're saying amen to everything we just said. Of course, I have to define amen. So be it. Let it be. I believe that what I have prayed is is for your glory and for your honor. It's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my fame. And so I want this to be this thing that I prayed for. It's reflective. It should be a reflective of a biblically informed, informed desire, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God in the matter or matters for which we are praying. Here's what another old friend says. By this word, amen, we express our sincere acknowledgments of the kingdom, power and glory of God, our earnest desire to obtain from God such valuable blessings and our faith resting on the promises of God. So it is fitting to end our prayers with amen, so be it, Lord. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So at our church many years ago, uh, I used to transition from exposition to, I called it application. Sometimes you read like Matthew Henry, use, you know, what's the usefulness, utility, the practicalness of the text. I don't do that anymore. We call this contemplation. It just sounds like, you know, wow. Contemplation. And what it means is drawing out of what I've said in the exposition, um, drawing out things that are necessarily, hopefully, contained with it. So I have six contemplations, and these should be brief. It's never encouraging when the pastor says that. The final words of the Lord's Prayer remind us of a soul-comforting truth. That's the first contemplation. These words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever remind us of a soul comforting truth. And that is this. The God we pray to is mighty, sovereign over uh, so, uh, mighty, sovereign over all things made. He is power like none other and his glory is the end for which all things exist. No higher end could ever eclipse God. This is why we sing thou art coming to a king. Now. Since you don't sing from the same hymnal we do, maybe you don't know the words. Some of you know the rest of the words. Large petitions with thee bring. You see the point of that hymn? Since we're coming to a great king, puny petitions with thee bring? No. Large petitions with thee bring. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are coming to God in prayer, who's able to do exceeding, abundant, you know what I mean, Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And then, by the way, there's a doxology in verse 21, right? 
Though life is full of twists and turns which often perplex us, some things never change. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. No matter what circumstances in my life look like, that doesn't change. Hear God through Paul's words. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? These are references to the book of Job. Or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These final words of the Lord's Prayer remind us of a soul comforting truth. When it's all said and done, this thing we call the universe is God's. And we, here in East Bakersfield, we can bring petitions to the king of glory. And God, he's not like me. He's not going to thump you on the head when you fall asleep praying. Which again, I know none of you have ever done that. You know, one time I was praying in my study with a deacon. This is many years ago when I was a young and foolish man. And I said, you know what? We need to pray, brother. It was a serious issue too. And it was kind of later at night after a Sunday evening service. And uh, so I started praying. Then I... I was woken up by the deacon grabbing my arm. Pastor, you fell asleep. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it's on Twitter someplace. He, no, it's not on there. It happens though. But listen, this is a soul comforting truth. Even when you fall asleep praying, you can wake up and you're not going to hell. Lord, I'm tired. I'm, please, I'm so sorry. Distracting thoughts got in and my flesh got the best of me. Forgive me of my sins in Jesus name. Where was I? Second contemplation is this. This prayer is an excellent guide for the daily prayers of God's people. And I've said this over more than once already. Well, at least I did when I preached this to my own congregation. If you sit there and go, what should I pray for? The Lord was so kind to us. I mean, he's not the audible voice isn't going to come from heaven. Hey, dummy, read Matthew six. Okay. It just came out of me, though. Hey, dummy. In Jesus. Um, in love. Go to Matthew 6. I'm speaking to myself, too. Just use the headings there. God's name. Oh, may your name be hallowed. It's not hallowed by me as it ought to be. I don't set it apart as it is set apart and sanctify it in my own thoughts. I, my, I have wandering thoughts in the worship of God privately and then even publicly have wandering thoughts in the worship. Lord, help me to hallow your name. And I have loved ones that don't hallow your name. Matter of fact, they blaspheme him. They blaspheme him. Cause, cause your kingdom of grace to come to their souls. His name, His kingdom, His will, our needs, our sins, the sins of others, and our need to be preserved from temptations. So it's a great guide for God's people in their private prayers. And also, I'll suggest their public prayers. That would be number three. But number four is this prayer is an excellent guide for self-examination as well. I need to be careful here because I don't want anybody to say, 
um, he started meddling. He's not eating my food. <laughs> but it is a, a, a something to think about. An old friend, William Perkins, says this. Out of these petitions, we may observe the marks of a carnal man. So this is a guide for self-examination. The carnal man neglects the glory of God and seeks his own praise, pleasure, and glory. He follows the sway of his feelings instead of subjecting himself to the word of God. He does his own will, his own desire, and has no or very little respect for doing the will of God. He does not rest on God's providence, but trusts wholly in creaturely things, the things given, and is often discontent. He lives daily with no or little remorse for his sins and the sins of others. He he runs into temptations and does not pray for deliverance. Perkins concludes this. Therefore, try yourself, if you find them in you, these marks of carnality, turn unto God by true repentance. Okay, so here you are doing self-examination. And let's say you find some of these traits of carnality in you and they They've been kind of mounting for a few days or weeks, okay? you backslidden. Look what Mr. Perkins says to do. Try yourself. If you find them in you, notice what he doesn't say. Don't go to God yet because you're dirty. Clean up your life. Pull up your bootstraps. Tighten your belt. Try harder, do better. And then after you do better, then go to God. (laughs) It's like nobody ever thinks this way, right? How about this one? I'm so sinful, I can't even read my Bible. So I'm going to clean up a little and then I'm going to read my Bible. Or I had such a bad week, Pastor, I can't make it to church. I had a bad week. You know, if you did, if you had a bad week... Here's what you say. Forgive me for having a bad week, Father. I need church because the public means of grace do something to my soul unique, not uh, repeatable in private kind of things. When you do self-examination, you find filth. You know what you do? You go to God through Christ with the filth. There's another hymn. Someday, hopefully, you'll sing it. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That applies not just to lost, unjustified, non-justified people. That applies to us as well. So if you've, you're here and you're going, man, this guy, this prayer is, I'm, I'm in trouble. Then here's what you do. Father, it's me again. In trouble. Forgive me and help. For thine is the kingdom. And thine is the power and thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the solution, if you find these carnal traits in you, is a sin forgiving God in Christ by the spirit, not personal reform on our own strength. Then presenting us ourselves to God, I clean myself up. Now I'm ready for Jesus. Remember, if I was God, what I would do, I'd thump you on the head. In love. You know, like the person that comes up to you and says, hey, brother or sister, you know, I love you in the Lord. In my experience, get ready. (laughs) 
Fifth, this prayer is an excellent reminder of the goodness, kindness, patience, and love of God for sinners. Isn't it? Because I kind of just let my, wore my heart on my sleeve a little this morning. And I know most of you, if not all of you, can relate with some of that. And yet there's no place in the prayer that says, if you ever fall asleep in prayer, don't come back to the Lord's Prayer. If you have darting thoughts to go all over the place in the midst of trying to pray for your church or the churches or your sisters or whoever it is, and you forgot where you were at and all that stuff, how dare you come back to this prayer? Go back to the law of Moses first. You gotta feel, you gotta squirm. That's, forgive me. And then come back. It's an excellent reminder of the goodness, kindness, patience, and love of God for sinners. Here our Lord was on during his earthly ministry, state of humiliation here. And he was good to give us this, this prayer. It shows his kindness toward the needy. What one of the things we need is how do I pray in a way that honors God? The Lord's Prayer. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. That's another line from a hymn. This model for prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a display of the Lord's patience with his people. For though we sin daily sin, he offers us daily pardon. Give us this day our daily bread entails that we are to give thanks for our daily bread daily. And I think that this prayer, or at least the Headings in the prayer are to be prayed daily. And you say, well, I got to get in my prayer closet for two hours every day. You know, I read where Martin Luther said, Lord, I'm so busy today. I got to pray four hours instead of three, which I don't know if that's true or not. But And I could leave it at that. You could go out here feeling terrible, right? Can you, by the way, can you pray the headings of the Lord's Prayer driving? Yeah, it's it's probably not the best best place, but it can be. I've I've prayed right. It's okay. The Lord was very kind to give it. We can remember the headings: God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, my provisions, my sins and the sins of the other sins of others, and my temptations and lusts. There's, there's the six headings that, that almost everything in life can fit under. And then last, this prayer has um, a unique audience in mind. Some people have called this the disciples prayer because the Lord gave it to disciples of Christ. When it says our father here, it entails that the people, plural, that are praying it are uniquely related to God through Christ, John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So these are born again, new children of God, not just creatures, but creatures fallen into sin and reclaimed by grace and therefore adopted by the Father on the vir- by virtue of the work of the Son, um, this all affected experientially 
by the spirit of grace in their souls. So in the language of John 3, these are born again people. That's that's who this prayer is for. So the question is, is that you? Are you a believer in Christ? Have you gone to him for with your sins to be forgiven of them and cleansed? Do you believe the gospel? If you have, uh, this is your prayer and mine. Let's pray.